Hello Emerging Cricket fans and welcome to our end of year show for 2020. We've got loads to talk about and we'll be answering all your questions. But first, a shout out to those who support us on Patreon. From as little as $2 US a month as a patron, you can access bonus content at Emerging Cricket and have a say on our show's direction. A shout out to our newest patron, Xavier Kovalic. Thank you so much for joining the EC movement. To sign up, log on to Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Emerging Cricket. But for now, enjoy our end of year review. Hello and welcome to our end of year special here at the Emerging Cricket Podcast, online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm Daniel Beswick, Tim Cutler and Nick Skinner are with me. Boys, it's been a very interesting uh, end of our year. I think two weeks ago we spoke about how we were all going home for Christmas and we were very lucky to do it. Uh, Only one of us, I think, was able to do that. None of us were able to travel. Uh, Tim, you're marooned in Brisbane. How's life up there? Good pun there. Um, yes, I am. I was planning to get down to Sydney um, and get up. Like it was a bit of a hop, skip, and jump to see family, friends, and whatnot. And then uh, that didn't happen. So I've I've spent a lot more time editing emerging cricket stuff. So for everyone that's been reading all that stuff pumping out, you can thank uh, the the Avalon cluster in Sydney <laughs> for keeping me out of out of New South Wales. Like some some great friends up here open their their houses and liquor cabinets to me over Christmas. Um, oh, that's dangerous. Been, it's been, I know, I know. Danger, danger. Um, <laughs> but very relaxing, Daniel. How about your good self? I can see a very well-kept um, kitchen behind you. That tells me that you're not in your own house. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Yeah, I likewise, I was affected by the Avalon Cluster as well. I'm stuck in Melbourne. I was meant to be home for Christmas uh, and then was actually going to go back up to Sydney for New Year's. Unfortunately, neither of those happened because the Victorian borders would have been closed for me to come back. So I've been in Melbourne from the 15th of December. We'll be here till the 21st, I think. Wasn't able to see my family on Christmas, which was... Uh, a little bit disappointing, but I made the most of, of uh, the lemons that COVID life gave me. I managed to um, find myself at a Christmas lunch, uh, an old friend from high school who lives down here with her family in Melbourne. I was able to have lunch with them, and it was a big, fat Greek spread of Christmas lunch. It oh. was incredible, to say the least. Uh, was very much welcomed with open arms and actually saw them again uh, on New Year's Day as well for another lunch. So I really can't complain, uh, and things are good here, yeah. Uh, in a in an apartment in in South Bank in Melbourne, and uh, yeah, the housekeeping helps keep this place uh, relatively tidy. But I also don't have that much. I don't have luggage really down here, or not a lot of it anyway, because I thought I was only going to be here for five days. Turns out I'm going to be here for thirty five days. Wow! But yeah, making the most of everything that's happening. So when you turned up that second time. Um, I can't imagine how great Greek food it was like that isn't a man that's an eating oh machine did you just go straight <laughs> every meat you could think of we had uh, this Polish sausage lobster oh goodness gracious it was it was like, thanks for the invite I could have flown to Melbourne <laughs> you know I just wasn't able to go to go to Sydney but uh, oh dear well at least you made the most of it and isn't it amazing the, um, the kindness of the people around us at times like this oh, and we've yeah. only just seen a little a little snifter of it really haven't we considering what else is going on in the world and this is the 
first time we've been in lockdown for a while but um yeah between them and my employers i have a lot of people to to thank for everything uh nicholas skinner uh up in new south wales and looking to be largely unaffected although i imagine you wanted to go up to uh queensland to visit some family over christmas as well how did you spend your time over christmas yeah similar story i was uh, i was meant to be flying up around the same time tim was flying down but again we have the uh the good people of Avalon to thank for that being cancelled. Uh, my my view on the northern beaches is basically we should just blow up the spit bridge and just leave them there um, and uh, <laughs> just lock the whole place down. But yeah, we spent Christmas with Brooklyn's family, um, so that was that was nice enough. You know, pretty uh, low-key because, of course, we had some restrictions around how many people were allowed in the house and uh, and all that sort of thing um but it was it was still good but yeah a bit of a shame i couldn't uh, couldn't see all the rallies up in brisbane i did have one good emerging cricket story um nishad rago our good friend um had got out of new south wales earlier with his partner alice and was driving from noosa back down to sydney and he stopped off oh how good stopped off in brisbane um you know, I don't know if I should be proud of this achievement, but they were just going to stop off, have a quiet lunch with me, and then they were going to t- continue driving down. They had an Airbnb booked uh, at Burley, you know, on the, on the Gold Coast on the way down. Well, you know, you go out for an afternoon with Tim Cutler. You, you <laughs> this should, is you true. Should, all, all, all I will say is that you should not have an Airbnb <laughs> booked for that evening. And only one of them drives as well. Um, and Nish is the only one with, with his license. So all I can say is that, uh, you know, I've got the one, the one bed, bed in here, but I made, it, made up the bed and it was fine. And, uh, oh. and uh, a, a quite um, shaky... Uh, duo left at midday the next day to uh, tr- either get into that Airbnb for the second night or continue down the 550 kilometres to Foster, where they're supposed to be going after. So there was some EC love um, had over that that time, so that was great to to see a familiar face. Just on Nishad, at the start of the year when he was helping out Thailand and doing his, his roles there, we were down at Monica with him, Nick, and we we were going to have a quiet beer and not many other places were open. We managed to find somewhere. And I think in the end, Nick, you stayed, you slept in, in, this, in, the, in the hotel room of Nishad because we just stayed so late. And- in the same bed, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. The number of hotel kind of sofas or, or like ends of beds <laughs> or second beds of cricketers and cricket friends that you just end up with. It's like, oh, yeah, look, I'll stay here and get out. But um, yes, so there was some... You know, some good times were had over that. But, you know, again, parallel universes. There we are at uh, Howard Smith Wharves under the Story Bridge in Brisbane looking out onto the Brisbane River. And it was like, you know, we've got stickers on the ground for social dis- distancing, but not a mask inside. Everyone's just going, oh, there's been no community transmission for, for weeks. And there it is. You know, I can't get on a plane, go for an hour because of a cluster in New South Wales. Anyway, we've, we've talked about that stuff enough, enough. We know what it's like around the world and it's terrible. It's just that, that just it's uh, the juxtaposition is, uh, is stark. <sighs> yeah. Uh, to think that, yeah, we, we uh, could find ourselves in another little spot of bother here. And I'm normally very proud to say that I'm born in Manly, but given the events of the Northern Beaches <laughs> over the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, I'm very much a Central Coast boy through and through. So, yeah, Manly supporters. Uh, what yes, say. moving on. Happy New Year, gents, and Happy New Year to, to everyone in the EC community. We'll... we'll I suppose, reminisce and talk about some of the good things that did happen in 2020. And there were good things in the Emerging Cricket game. We will talk about them at, at some point. But I think the, the first sort of 
port of call is the associate winners in the ICC awards of the decade. There was quite quite a Scottish presence. Catherine Bryce winning the women's associate cricketer of the decade. Carl Kutzer winning the associate cricketer of the decade. A, an amazing effort from from Scotland. And thinking of Afghanistan too and their rise, Rashid Khan winning the T20I player of the decade as well. Quite a significant achievement considering he debuted in the format in 2015. Tim, first of all, congratulations uh, on everything with you in terms of the, the show and being part of that, that panel, uh, selecting the awards, at least talking about them in great detail. I must admit that with my uh, responsibilities, I haven't been able to sit down and watch that production yet, but by all reports and speaking to a couple of people who were also involved in it, well, they, were, they had a lot of praise for, for your work, Tim, on, on everything there. So congratulations. And yeah, to look at, at Scotland's presence and Rashid Khan's victory there, I don't think we could be too surprised, but I think it's a great image to the associate game just to show and appreciate these players for all that they've done in the last decade of cricket. Absolutely. Honoured to be invited to be part of the, the small nominations committee beforehand, then also to be on the voting panel. And then when they asked me to be on the show, I was like, uh, okay. Um, but no, always great chance to to talk about cricketers of the emerging world and even a bit more about, about Rashid as well. I press onto my good friend... Shafiq, former CEO of, of the ACB, for a little bit of background info there that hadn't been written about. So that was nice to share a little bit of um, insight there that people wouldn't have known otherwise. And um, yeah, Scotland swept it. I think um, Kyle's numbers, I, I just couldn't see anyone go, go past him. And whilst there was a public vote, the majority of the vote did come from that, that nominations committee. And with him being leading run scorer um, in ODIs, um, I think in number two in T20Is, I should know that. Um, and I think he took an ODI wicket as well, so that's the most important <laughs> thing. But I think I tried to say it in the, the, the coverage as well, you know, I think that it was great to see so many good leaders of the emerging game in, in the, the nominees across there. I, you know, I tried to impress onto the, the committee as well to say that, you know, it's more than just the numbers in emerging cricket for, for what these, these players go through, and especially as captains leading their countries when they're playing for funding, playing for the future of the game. It was good to see the likes of Paris, Peter Boren, uh, and Sonarin, and Catherine Bryce, etc., in, the, in the, the women's that are, that, are, that are leading these countries, um, and generally the numbers as well. So that was good. Yeah, tough one on the, on the women's side as well. I think, you know, with Catherine not playing a lot of, let's say, recognised cricket early in the decade and being able to get those those numbers together. Um, but it was great to see someone that's been playing, you know, for a country since she was 13 in 2011 and come through to be such a quality player. And as she showed in the Rachel Hoho Flint trophy as well, you know, up there with the best full member cricketers out there as well. So... And the only thing, looking back, I just hope that um, I think Isaac actually said it in his piece covering it that you know we had teams of the decade for T20I ODIs across men's and women's, and then tests on the men's side. Then that might have been great if we had a an AM team of the decade as well, whether mixed formats or even that. So hopefully that's something that, um, that the ICC can look at in the future. But uh, I guess there's nothing stopping us doing the same thing, is there? <laughs> yeah, a lot of these guys would be uh, on on those teams. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was uh, I, th- I like your point about leadership there, Tim. Because I mean, I'm a I'm a disappointed Boren voter, um, <laughs> frustrated he, Boren voter. Yeah, no, he, I'm I'm a big fan of Peter Boren because of of that leadership quality that he brought to the Dutch side. You know, for for a number of years, mostly throughout that whole decade, he was the beating heart of Dutch cricket, and and you know, so much of it rested on his shoulders. Um, obviously, Kotz are a very deserving winner. His numbers are 
incredible throughout that that time period and he's been playing for well I think over 15 years now so he's he's been a core member of that Scottish team for for such a long time but yeah Boren is a uh, perhaps a little bit underrated as a as a an associate cricketer because he was very much a um yeah, an, an overachiever, you could say. You know, he 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 described himself as being uh, not very talented, but he he works hard. I think that's a bit of a disservice. He he was certainly talented, but he he definitely um, made the most of that talent through working hard and and for Dutch cricket and and putting Dutch cricket first. So I I, I think he would have been a good choice too. I think you know num- the numbers. And sorry, Bez, you're probably going to come with your reply there. But you look at the numbers of a McLeod and a Barrington. Um, and even Safian Sharif, who didn't make the final mm, cut, and then mm. behind them, um, Bassat uh, Regmi and Bernard Scholtz of, of Namibia. Some amazing numbers throughout that period as well. We could have really had a, a short list of, of 15 deserved winners for, for all different reasons as well. You know, Bilal Khan yeah. is another one who just has taken a bucket load of wickets, and his numbers are amazing. So it just goes to show how many high performers there have been uh, and how important they are to cricket in their nations, I think, is is the key throughout all this. So maybe we, if we do teams of the decade there, that might do better or do well to, to really recognise some of those names. But I, I agree, re, re, Pete Boren and, and I think Paris, you can put in the same mm, yeah. in the same boat there of, of the league. Oh, and, and Asad Vali, we haven't even mentioned him. You know, talks about sort of pillars of strength um, in, a, in a country where, you know, the sport is, is sort of becoming a pillar of the community as well, not just, you know, a... a potential uh, job um, opportunity um, for, for kids coming through but is becoming you know it's trying to trying to teach good qualities within a community that that, um, that is itself kind of growing up so I, I, I don't know it was a great process to go through and to really sit back and consider what these players bring to our game yeah well Vera Coley knows all about Peter Boren's bowling for all for what it's <laughs> worth but to, to look at again the six nominations and yeah as both of you have quite rightly said you can make a case for all six of them winning it i mean paris just with the sheer weight on his shoulders of of nepali cricket you know he's he's the backbone of nepali cricket and it has been especially in the batting you know if it wasn't for him i don't think they'd be anywhere close to where mm. nepal are now you know for for nepal players to run they needed uh someone like Paris Kadka to, to walk first. You know, we don't know we don't know if we'd ever see a Sandeep Mamachani without someone like Basant Regni as well. We've heard that story too. But personally I probably would have lobbed Kyle Kutzer as my nomination because I just think he, he ticks all the boxes and, and it's not even from a statistical standpoint. Of, you know, he has a huge World Cup hundred against Bangladesh in, in two thousand and fifteen. He has bowled a little bit. We we've seen him, you know, in the in the county game as well. But he's been at the coalface for, for a lot of associate cricket's problems over the last ten years as well. And he's been quite forthright uh, opinionated and I think you know if, if someone was to lead a kind of players union or a players brigade in all of that I think Kyle Kutzer would be one of the first people you know thrown into the list to kind of head that up you know we talked to Paul Van Makeren who's looking at, at doing you know the Dutch Cricketers Association as well Kyle Kutzer would be the, the perfect fit you know he was there for the for the pay dispute in, in Canada when that all happened at the Global T20 he played in the Everest Premier League he did well there and by all reports you know his conduct there was incredible a World Cup 100 I think he, he just ticks all the boxes I mean he won't say it but you know he actually he actually you know rolls them out okay as well when he bowls he doesn't really bowl anymore but <laughs> technically so so sound an EC ambassador as well I don't think we can really have any complaints but with, with that you know with that award 
going his way. And then to look on, on the women's side of things too, we know all about Thailand's meteoric rise and, and I can't remember which one of you made the point, but Sonoran Tipok could have easily won that award purely for her being at the start and the end of that incredible journey that Thailand are on and, and are still on. Mm. But looking at someone like, say, Sarah Bryce, she could win the next the next decade award, I think, because you know she's going to be playing international cricket at the highest level for yeah at least the next ten years, if only. England don't poach her, but don't say it too loud because we don't want to give them too many ideas. <laughs> uh, but but again, and Tim, I wanted to ask you this, you know, talking to, to the people who were involved in it, just, just how much did some of the other judges in all of this have to say about the, these players as well? Because I know a lot of them would have been focused on the, on the full member game. How much, you know, of, of the knowledge did you impart on that, on that group just between, you know, just between mates here? <laughs> I've got a story about Kyle first. He's actually bowling a lot more in local cricket. He's really happy. He's got... Uh, ah. Oh. I th- sound like sound like he's like um, handed the leadership chalice over to um, to one of the young guys who I don't think Kyle was bowling himself at all, but all of a sudden he's now just you know little dilly dollies. Can you imagine these green tops just? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, so, it'd be um, deadly on him. <laughs> yeah, um, you know the, the, the ICC supplied stats packs on on all the players, so everybody came in quite well um, versed and. Um, had stories themselves from when they'd seen these players generally in global events. And so it was good to be able to tell some stories about about the importance of some of these guys that they may not know about. You know, Paris is a great great example there. You know, Sonoran is one that they would know of, but not necessarily her background and why, you know, although she's got great numbers and has been a great performer in, in many tournaments for Thailand, but, you know, to be one of the first softball converts and to have led a country from... From go to well, not, not even to woe. Like it's still it's still going. The only woe is us at um, is us yelling from uh, from media rooms at World Cups, <laughs> getting strange strange looks from people. Oh, we'll get to that. Um, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll talk all about that soon. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, but, but yeah, look, it was it was to be expected. There was a lot of debate um, on all the other awards as well. Um, so I think there was a, a, a lot of leaning towards what emerging cricket brought to the table really um so that was that was good to be able to share some of those stories so it just just shows how important t20i status uh universal status is so that was an interesting process and i you know i think it was just great for us to be invited to the table really i think that's a a testament to the emerging cricket brand and how hard everybody works and everyone who's listening to the podcast and everyone who contributes through patreon i think it was a a win for the good guys there. Um, it's nice that, you know, I'd like to say that we're doing the right things for the right reasons, and I think that's being recognised. So, good to be part of it. Now, moving on, boys, and not many stories in the emerging game start with the BCCI, but we do have a couple of movements here at the organisation which might help push the idea of Olympic cricket forward. The best way to put it is that they haven't said no to Olympic cricket, <laughs> but they're definitely asking a lot of questions. And, and Nick, you've kept your ear to the floor with a lot of this. It looks like they want clarification from India's Olympic governing body as to how the power will be shared between themselves and and the Olympic uh, Indian Olympic governing body in terms of what cricket will be in the future if cricket was to be in the Olympics. Now, before we came and chatted here uh off air you were talking about well you know look at team gb and the olympics we don't really see that struggle in say football for instance where in london they had a a a gb team for uh the london the london games i haven't sent out a team after that but 
surely this is a conversation that should have had should have been had a long time ago i feel like this is a very elementary beginning to what should be a long fruitful relationship between cricket and and say olympics if we need the bcci to have these conversations now in 2020 for an olympics eight years down the track when we have the likes of skateboarding karate break dancing (laughs) and other sports and i use that you know the term sport in inverted commas there, you know, with all due respect to, to some of those. Keep going, Daniel. Bit bitterness doesn't look good on you. <laughs> Move on. Look. You've got to admire the fact that these sports were able to get there. You do. I do. Uh, I wouldn't be shaking my head at the Olympic movement. Agreed. And it shows that they've put it all together and they know where their priorities lie and they know how, you know, their respective sports can, can benefit from something like the Olympic movement. Nick, what what do you have? What's, what's the latest? I know you're on the front gate of the uh, BCCI there reporting for us on behalf of Emerging <laughs> Cricket. But what, what do you have? What have you heard? What have you seen? What do you think has, has been made of all of this? Well, as you said, they didn't say no, and that's the the main um, that's the main progress. Uh, you mentioned that the the conversation's just starting now. Well, it feels like it's been going on for well over a decade, and there's there's always a oh yeah, we'll 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 discuss it or we'll think about it. We'll get to it. So uh, yeah, it, it was good that they didn't say no because in the past the BCCI has been actively opposed to joining the Olympics. So it is uh, progress in a way at a, at a glacial pace, but it is still progress that they're, they're at least not saying no. Um, the, the official word is that they're going to clarify with the, uh, the Olympic Committee uh, the, the relationship to the Indian Olympic Association and, and the fear that is uh, spoken about a lot with regards to the Olympics is that the BCCI doesn't want to uh, lose its authority or, or autonomy in, in the face of the Indian Olympic Committee because of, obviously, you know, internal uh, disputes between the two organisations. But, yeah, as you said, you know, you look at England and, and the FA in England and, you know, football's in the Olympics, but that doesn't mean that the FA is controlled by, you know, Team GB. Uh, team GB didn't even bother sending a team to the last Olympics because uh, the FA basically <laughs> didn't, didn't feel like organising one. Uh, so... Clearly, the fact that the BCCI is so much more powerful than the Indian Olympic Organization, to me, indicates that those fears of you know losing their autonomy and you know being controlled by the the the, um, the Olympic Committee, I think that's very overblown. So perhaps there's some some questions around uh, you know revenue distribution and, and funding and whatnot, um, which I mean those are always the the kinds of uh, always the kinds of disputes that get very bitter in in cricket administration, but. Yeah, the the word is that they're going to revisit the the issue at uh, a special general meeting sometime this year, um, hopefully early-ish, and and hopefully they say yes and we can move on to trying to get it into the LA Olympics. Uh, But yeah, there was a lot of excitement when they didn't say no, and I mean, (laughs) fair enough, in the past they have said no, but... Yeah, it wasn't as momentous as uh, perhaps it sort of sounded like when they they said that they didn't mind the idea of it. Yeah, I've um, been holding back on my analogies in 2020, but uh, one of my New Year resolutions is to bring more in. <laughs> what this reminds me of... Oh, yes. <laughs> Here we go. What, what, what this is to me is you've been asking the, the same girl out and she said no to you every time and you've just pestered her and pestered her and pestered her. <laughs> chipped away it just chipped away just tap it in <laughs> and you know instead of saying no this time a bit like lisa and ralph you know um yeah oh look okay um look i'll i'll go to you go with you to uh, i'll go with you to the formal but uh, i'll look i need a check 
first. I'm asking someone else or uh, got to check my schedule, <laughs> you know. So, I, look, <laughs> there, there was a chance to say yes with an if, <laughs> but it does, yeah. So, look, I, it, it's we talk about it a lot and <laughs> I know that everyone listening will be nodding away. I can imagine Chris Pierce as he's driving, kind of staring off into the distance, listening to the podcast. Love you, Chris. And um, it'd be like, yes, you guys talk about the Olympics a lot. It would be amazing. And it would be a genuine tears-to-eyes moment when, when the news comes through. And let's assume the world is, is back and up and running when it happens. But, you know, apart from going in 2000 when it was in my home city, I think that would be the first time I'd ever be booking, booking tickets to, to go to Olympic Games to go and watch cricket mm. in L.A., uh, and I know I'm just one cricket enough um, somewhere <laughs> in the world. But I just think it'd be amazing. So, look, bang on with everything you said there, Nick, about the power control funding. And I guess cricket in India is that one of the few countries where then they wouldn't be looking forward to the money from the uh, the Olympic Committee because they don't need it. And everybody always likes money. But, I mean, they're, they're, they're not looking at the facilities or wanting to use it like you know, literally 90 plus other countries around the world. Well, more if you look at the West Indies and if you start breaking up all those, yeah, yeah, any associates. So we know that it was, it was good news. Well, it could have been a lot worse, but onward and upward, 2028. It, it sounded like a long time away, didn't it, a couple of years ago? But since mm. uh, 2020 has basically just been, you know, deleted. And kind of like, you know, we'll just, you know, when you just like cut, like, yeah, exactly. You're just cutting the, you're just cutting the square out of 2020. You imagine like cutting the sticky to the sellotape right now to tape the two bits of paper together after cutting out 20, just to put 2019 into 21. But, um, yeah, I don't know. What do you reckon, Bez? You're going to come to LA? Oh yeah, absolutely. And they're more than capable to host international cricket. And I still think T20 cricket is a viable format for the Olympic game. If if they have to go to T10, I don't mind that either because it's still cricket in my eyes. But I think T20 is still a more than realistic option. And let's just hope that India choo- choo- chooses cricket <laughs> in the in the Olympics. Two, two Ralph Wiggum <laughs> references from the same episode in five minutes go orange not- go banana <laughs> that's what cricket's like in its olympic aspirations yeah. is the if banana. you don't like simpsons quotes you're gonna you're hate in 2021 wrong, in the wrong place <laughs> but again thinking of, of india it's a good opportunity for them to win an olympic gold medal they've won nine mm, olympic mm. gold medals eight of the nine have been won in a team sport which is uh field hockey they've won one individual gold medal uh in men's air rifle in in beijing in 2008 but apart from that it's been very much an empty cabinet for for india in their olympic dreams so it'd be a good opportunity for them on you know both men's and women's cricket to to help with that gold medal tally at least but again to look at somewhere like los angeles you know there are definitely other places in the world that would be it, w- it would be harder for, for cricket to get up and running but the facilities are there and even if they had to move uh, interstate into another part of the country. We, we've seen it in many other Olympics around the world where they've had to move um, venues. We, I think the Melbourne 1956 equestrian was held in Stockholm due to equine issues or something like yep. that. So, oh, damn it, I was, I was going to bring that one up. It's like, damn it, you got me. God, sorry. And Beijing, you know, they held the equestrian events in, in Hong Kong. Oh, did they? I did not know that. So it's been done before and, you know, and you said about facilities and, you know, one of the, the, the tick boxes or one of the, the things about Olympic um, inclusion is the, the legacy of the facilities. But this can't be the only reason. If they put up temporary stands out at, what's the, the, the park in LA, 
Nicholas Woodley. Yeah, Woodley International. That's right. But they held Division Four, and I, I've heard it's not in great great nick at the moment. But you know, it's Olympics. You can you can put up temporary stands. It's like you know beach volleyball. Do you think those those stands yeah. stay up? You know, we had it on Bondi Beach, guys. Come on, it's not hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, we can't take that down. So again, it can be done. And like you said, if it's T10, and I don't want to be flippant, but even if it was sixes. If it meant funding and exposure for the game, yeah. the only problem for me looking at something like that is that knowing how a place like Hong Kong works and they only fund the format of the sport that is in the Olympics or the Asian Games and keep the squad to that group, I would like to think it's going to be a more, let's say, traditional in uh, inverted commas format that will uh, mean in other countries that I'm sure that have firm funding rules around Olympic sports as well and who gets into Olympic funding and, and who doesn't, that it includes as many players as possible. That's my only little concern having been all too involved in that in Hong Kong and, and knowing trying to get as many players covered by those salaries as they were full-time you know, sports people because of that, but only the T20 team because of what they'd achieved in in the, the T20 World Cup qualifiers in 2015. So that's the only thing I, I kind of come up against in my head when thinking about the uh, the formats. But, you know, if it's athlete numbers and, it, and we need fewer people, then, you know, it's like, we, we'll change, we'll change. Give us five minutes, we'll come back with a, with a you know, an eight-team, eight-over format that will just get into the games. It's just, it's only upside. Yeah, plenty of opportunity for cricket in the Olympics. We just need everyone to be on the same hymn sheet, singing from it and uh, trying to move cricket into the Olympics. But... Again, yeah, any format would do for us. And, and from, you know, I think just about every associate member's perspective, any Olympic participation in any regard, whether it's qualifying, whether it's competing, whatever the format, it's so beneficial to everyone and, and the funding and everything that goes with that. We've talked about it multiple times. I don't really think it needs to be repeated again, but here I am, you know, end of year special talking about it anyway. Have we told everyone what's going to be on the end of year special? We, 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 we haven't even opened the mailbag yet, have we? No, we haven't. We've got a lot of uh, listener questions uh, towards the back end. Yeah, we're half an hour in and it's like uh, we've just been, you know, <laughs> we, we, haven't, we haven't spoken for two weeks. This is what happens, you know. <laughs> and my... To be honest, my, my interaction with people has been scarce outside of a professional sense. I've caught up with a few mates, but yeah, haven't haven't really had the chance to, you know, it's been a weekly ritual for us for, for the best part of two years on it, you know, just about, apart from a, a few weeks here and there. It did feel a little bit weird not recording last week. Mm. It was Christmas though. You had a, you had a, little, a huge Greek feast to, to fill the gap, so I, I wouldn't be complaining too much. Let's have a look at 2020 in review. And I think from a cricket perspective, from even, you know, in the context of, of sport, cricket Cricket, I think, managed to squeeze out all that it could in, in a difficult year. We managed to have an under-19 Men's World Cup. We managed to complete a, a Women's T20 World Cup. Cricket World Cup League 2 was thrown into a bit of jeopardy. We did see some action at the start of the year, but it does look like that all of those matches will be played out in some format, uh, in, in some respect at least. We saw international cricket pop up in parts of Europe. Vanuatu got a lot of exposure from all of their domestic cricket that went on, did very well. And we haven't talked about Shane Dietz becoming the, the women's uh, head coach of the Netherlands just yet, but he did an amazing job in Vanuatu. Tim uh, reminded me before that Taiwan uh, managed to, to host cricket before anyone else in a time of a lot of trouble. Before we do look at some of these events in depth, Tim, I think Cricket and cricketers have, have done very well to adapt in the situation that we that we found ourselves in. Uh, associate cricket was front and centre and top of mind for a lot of people who might not have seen it before. Uh, so in that regard, I think cricket was, was did a very good job at least of, of adapting to the situation. 
and I was asked this, I think it was on the Gorilla Cricket podcast right at the start, and I did a, a, a very political answer. They asked me one question about player welfare, uh, and I basically gave the same answer now, is that I think from, you know, if we look at it from our point of view, from an emerging cricket perspective, we've talked about this a lot. I think the players are so used to having to adapt to different situations of working jobs, training in different countries, being in different places and, try, and coming together only briefly to play. It was only now, it was like, okay, well, now you're, you're probably stuck at home doing this to add to, add to everything else and you're going to have to, to train via Zoom or in Scotland. I went back and, and watched Kyle's EC Live he did back when you were happy to put your face on the screen, Bez, and him talking about how they weren't actually allowed to train officially anyway. And I don't think I heard it that first time he was talking that because they'd been furloughed and were being paid by the government, they weren't allowed to officially train, like that, those kind of situations. But I think it summed it up before is how well cricket had had coped in the in the situation it was it was in you know i think because there's not a lot of money coming in to associate cricket normally and that they haven't spent the commercial funds before they've come in there weren't a lot of i think huge problems for associate teams because they they didn't have huge bills coming out the back end you know they're generally relying on, on government funding which hopefully was still coming and as far as i'm aware the icc funding might have even been front-ended a bit to, to try and help out countries that were struggling. So in that case, I think some of the countries financially were actually better off playing no cricket, which is a bizarre situation to be in. Um, and only when you start going up and start looking at the effect on the uh, World Cup Super League, I think that probably shows the countries that could afford to be putting bubbles in places because they've got the TV rights flowing in we saw those countries doing it but those that don't have the millions and millions of dollars coming in for tv rights and therefore they don't have the, the, the funds there that um could be spent as an, as an expense on bubbles you know we've seen the likes of islands and a netherlands series be uh postponed I, and from a netherlands point of view it was about crowds as much as it was about the, the cost of to bubble but I'm, I'm sure all those things were taken into account which in retrospect, looking at what's happening in Europe now anyway, it was probably the right decision rather than make it now, to make it now, rather than wait until the middle of 2021 and to get in a situation like what happened with the slam, which I know is completely different, but I just mean in terms of timing of, of making promises that you don't keep. So, you know, I think Gideon's summary of how it has probably exacerbated some issues already there in global cricket. Yep, the issues around global, global event structure, they were there before COVID and have only been highlighted further, especially around the World Test Championship. And look, I know Rod Lyle, when he eventually listens to this, will probably, you know, go kind of beetroot red angry at me a lot. But if the, if the World Test Championship is the casualty from this to try and fit in the global leagues and everything else, I, I'm, I'm pretty cool with that because I think establishing these pathways to global events is, is really important. And I'm not going to say that Test Cricket should be the last thing considered quite the quite the opposite but i think that getting these pathways right especially as we come into different cycles and trying to work out how many events we're going to have that's that's the important part but look i just hope that it's highlighted some of the issues that are experienced by associate nations or smaller full members that have now been experienced by those sort of larger full members in a time like this and how much world cricket needs to change the way it structures and it's probably going to answer answering a question that I'm, I'm talking about later about sort of ideas about the future but you know about pooling rights and about being cleverer with central pools of payments to players both male and female but also the way it's distributed and broadcast so look if we take a positive look at 2020 i think maybe cricket will realize that it needs to pull together better um, or we may see it drop off in certain places around the world if it doesn't
And as disappointing as it was for the men's T20 World Cup not to run in Australia in October, I remember thinking that, you know, had we been in a position for Australia to host that tournament at that point, I think a lot of us made the same point that I think a lot of the associate teams might have actually been half a chance because the way that they've had to train over the years, as as Tim mentioned, you know, uh, either independently or scarcely while uh, juggling jobs and other professional endeavours, it, it would have meant that the, the playing field amongst teams would have been, I think, equal or more closer to, to parity than, than what they would have been previously without COVID. So it was a shame for cricket to be missing in terms of that World Cup, that T20 World Cup in 2020, which was just so perfect that the universe decided, you know what, no, you're not going to have it at all and uh, have it next year. Without trying to delve too much into the decision to have India still host the 2021 tournament, even with all those qualifiers going to 2021 in India and not in Australia, it will open the door for a few of the teams in, in some respects, but I do feel that there's a disadvantage for the likes of, say, the Netherlands. And we've talked about this before where I think they really prepared their side and Ryan Campbell prepared that side with Australia in mind, now have to pivot and play in the Netherlands. But looking at that team, you know, they do have spin threats as well. So it, it's not all lost for them. But to go back, I suppose, to, to the start of the year and, and the T20 World Cup that was held, the, the Women's World Cup, uh, we saw encouraging performances from Thailand. And I suppose in a way to kind of sum up 2020, the game that Thailand were almost certainly going to win was uh, abruptly halted and and ultimately ended by rain at Sydney Showground, which in typical Western Sydney fashion, a huge thunderstorm wrecking everyone's plans, making, you know, 150 plus against a team that looked pretty rattled by the the assault of Chantam and co uh, for Thailand. Nick, I remember being there with you uh, at the showground and and being in awe of what Thailand were able to put up that day. But I think Thailand overall gave them uh, gave a good account of themselves in that tournament. They did get off to a, a shaky start. They lost to the West Indies first up, although they did sort of push them as well, especially with the ball and in the field. But I, I think there were a lot of positives to take from, from Thailand's progress in that tournament. And I think it's, it's only really up for, for them as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, <laughs> well, I, I know... Um... You, we we were both in the um in the in the media box there when when Thailand took uh, two for not many against England and there was a few shockwaves through there. Obviously, they couldn't uh, keep that momentum up against one of the best teams in the world. But yeah, Pakistan had never chased anything uh, close to 150, I think. So they were definitely in the box seat. And uh, what a, what an absolute uh, <laughs> what a harbinger of the year to come, wasn't it? That you know something so good just couldn't quite happen, and uh, and we just we just had to miss out. Um, but uh, yeah, obviously Chantam turned that innings into uh, you know an appearance at the the women's IPL challenge. Um, obviously, <laughs> she she didn't get much of a go in the actual team, but you know that the small steps it, it drew some attention. Um, and you know, just looking a bit further beyond just Thailand, you know, women's cricket in general in the associate world, there was a lot of cancellations as as we discussed. You know, there was that series that was supposed to happen between Ireland and Scotland um, in, in December, but you know, um, the Germany got on the field against Austria, which I thought was great, um, and and that was in a, a period when there was almost no cricket being played, so it was a good. Uh, a good advertisement for the game and, and some of the interesting stories coming out of, of Germany. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think associate cricket, as you, as you sort of said, Tim, benefited, I mean, financially in the sense that um, 
<laughs> yeah, it's 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 a pretty sad situation when you're you're better off not playing cricket. But uh, more in terms of exposure, when you know they were able to sort of fill a bit of a gap. You know, obviously the the T10 blast in Vanuatu, which attracted uh, yeah huge numbers on the internet because there was almost no live sport going on. Various other uh, associate tournaments, uh, including the European Cricket Series, which which again filled a bit of a gap in the market. So, uh, I think there was there were some positives in the sense that you know associate cricket was able to to get a bit of attention that it might not have otherwise throughout the year. Yeah, Thailand, Vanuatu, Zambia. You know, just the the, t- the pop up ones that we saw anyway. The the, um, the Taiwan one, just, just funny reading. Um, Reading the piece that uh, that Isaac did after interviewing one of the players about how, about how that all happened in a place that cricket's more more or less unknown by uh, by the population, it's just amazing for the the exposure these these places got. Or we had pop up tournaments in uh, in Sri Lanka that weren't in Sri Lanka. <laughs> that was a hot, that was a uh, another thing about about uh, that was uh, that was something. Yeah, they're all they're all wearing masks, and they're not actually the players that they purported to be. After you know, after the actual players, the names were on Crick Info. You know, text people saying, um, "I'm not there," and that's that's not Sri Lanka. But um, and, and just talking about some of the places where cricket did pop up in, in 2020, at least in in uh, a more public consciousness i suppose the european cricket series managed to weston and his team managed to pivot um not just having the european cricket league but also to have those rolling series around uh in parts of of europe i think we saw i think when when he jumped on ec live i think he said that there was basically a game of cricket or cricket on almost every day from june to to christmas uh and you know we we saw games pop up in in finland romania we saw action in in parts of Spain a few times. And I think that, I suppose that the quality of cricket in some places left a lot to be desired. But I think overall that the idea and the exposure of just showing people out there, cricket around in these in these parts of the world, we talk about this a lot, but it, it is so important to just see players on, on screens and just having that exposure. And that kind of goes back to what the ECL wants to try and do for the next generation is to to put cricket front and center in the minds of european kids growing up having aspirations of of playing in a club competition and and winning you know the the champions league of cricket and hopefully next year uh in a world that i dare say won't be post-covid but in a position where we are able to manage it a little bit better having a 16 team tournament in that for now as well uh adding more countries to that it, it's just improved the idea of European cricket tenfold in the last 10 years. And I think when we look at some of the, the regions around the world where cricket is very much thriving, you know, to look at, say, the, the Asian regions of, say, Singapore and Malaysia, where the national teams go from strength to strength. You know, we talked to Matt Featherston in, in Brazil and, and South American cricket being stronger and stronger every year. I think Europe is, is the next hotbed of international cricket as well because it's in that sort of public consciousness. And yeah, it might have taken the craziness of 2020 to evoke that, Tim, but it looks as if it's going to be a very competitive region in, in the next few years to come. And there's been some really innovative ideas that have come out of that region as well, just as you're mentioning those countries. You know, we saw, I don't think we mentioned it yet, uh, Malaysia include women in there, as in women in the men's team, I should say. And then, you know, Singapore's announced this T10 league that's going to be 
mixed gender. So I'm, you know, to see how this will all work. But you know, if we look at it from a women's point of view, you know, there's a there is a a formula that that works. You know, go to Thailand, learn about Thailand, and and look at that from a from a, from a women's point of view. And I think it will be women's cricket that will be the vanguard of of that growth out of that region and, and beyond. You know, there's some some nations popping up that weren't necessarily the ones that were able to get games up and up and running that have have great potential including in in Africa you know look across Rwanda Nigeria um, we see the stories there, but also the UAE from a women's point of view. So it's uh, to me, really, it's from the, the women's side that I'm I'm going to be looking at from a, a growth point of view, especially as you know. I know we'll talk about more about women's cricket as we go on go on today, but um, you know the men's have the structures there in place um, already with with the cricket World Cup leagues, and I think it's how women's cricket can can be structured better to to support that growth. I think is really going to be cricket's challenge of the of the next decade. Now, we've opened up the floor to a number of you guys asking questions for our end of year special, like we did last year as well when we were all together in Sydney. Unfortunately, not all together tonight, but well and truly in on the mailbag special again. Uh, we will mention you know some of the other things that have happened in 2020 and a lot of our answers, I feel. So we will go through that now. Our first question comes from Captain Morgan at DSDoc97. Not entirely a question, but I'll let it slide on this occasion. <laughs> uh, wanting to know about the Olympics, I think we've already answered a lot of that, but interested in KKR's investment in the USA and Major League Cricket. Tim, I think you're probably the best person to answer this. What do you think that investment will entail and what do you think the benefits will be for USA and, and Major League Cricket in the future? Well, the credibility that the, that name brings... Um, the attachment to the IPL, great already. Um, but well, we've seen the name of investors and it, and it is a very Indian heavy list there. So that, that credibility there, I think more what they're going to bring from a major league cricket in general point of view, you know, their experience in the IPL, also in the Caribbean Premier League. And I guess from their point of view, they'll have another franchise where they can be running almost a 365-day operation and they can be giving I know that it's major league cricket's not going to be wanting to be seen as a second tier competition but bear with me but they can be giving their assistant coaches from KKR more exposure in those other those other other events and whatnot so in terms of the the, like I said the credibility that that name brings that they want to be involved in major league cricket but it's not just KKR it's all it's that list of billionaires um, from the CEO of Microsoft and Paytm and CTOs of Dropbox and whatnot that you know I'm guessing they're going to want to return for their money but the fact that they've been able to corral that that list of people is is a big tick for what Major League Cricket's going to be you know I think we've talked about it a lot this year about what it means for actually developing the game in the country and the role that minor league cricket has to play and then the development pathway but Overall, to the seven-word question without a question mark, I think that um, overall just is a, is a great marker in the sand for perhaps when the Major League Cricket kind of broke into the mainstream newspapers in some of its biggest markets that it's a tra- trying to attract itself to uh, when that signing happens. So very good for them. Yeah, the thing for me is just that, I mean, money's obviously important for, for running a cricket tournament, but it's not the only thing. And and. Yeah, even this year, it was yes, it was experimental and and a trial run. But the minor league stuff that they did run, it didn't go very smoothly. You know, the the stream was a bit dodgy and and it was all a bit choppy. So I, I think the fact that KKR, it's not just a financial investment. They're they're bringing their expertise and and they're providing sort of logistical and administrative support. So I think that probably will be more valuable than than any money that they're they're actually investing. I think you guys basically nailed it there. The only thing I would probably add is that 
I think the one problem that that USA cricket has had for for a long time now, it's never been the amount of money. It's never been the the number of people willing to help the the cause. It just seems that there's never really been a unified effort into to pushing the game forward. But I think you can kind of make an an exception here with KKR moving into that space where, yeah. We'll, on paper, you know, they've got a pretty good resume in terms of cricket management and, yeah, bringing in their own people to to building, say, a particular team or a particular area, uh, a part of the USA. So I think, you know, a lot of positives will most probably come out of all of this. I think that, you know, there is potential for this model to, to work for a number of teams around the country. But again, you know, we, we do need to see a strong unified effort from uh, a relatively new governing body and a new organization uh, in, in USA cricket pushing the game overall forward. But I think the the idea of having teams like KKR or businesses like KKR coming in and, and, and doing something like this, I think, you know, it will raise the competition around and it will bring people up with them, kind of a rising tide floats all boats. Peter Della Penner analogy with, with that one. I'll jump into the next question before I talk too much. And this one's from Bo Nicholson, a uh, friend of mine. So thanks a lot, Bo, for, for listening to the show and, and jumping in with this question. Uh, I think he might want a couple of uh, AM signings for the Brisbane Heat because they haven't gone too well <laughs> lately. He's, he is from, from north of the border. With the success of some players from the emerging nations, who is the next big hit potentially in the BBL? Now, Seen Sandeep return this week for the Hobart Hurricanes. Bowled relatively well, and the Hurricanes managed to get a win after uh, Maxwell and Poran were looking like they were destined to chase that target, only to fall short in a, I suppose, a classic stars collapse from from what I did manage to see. But looking at, at the BBL and, and Sandeep's success, we've seen Tim David emerge as, as a real star, I think, for the Hobart Hurricanes this year as well. Uh, Lamachana and David being teammates. Probably good for Sandeep, knowing that uh, Tim David had his number in uh, Asian T20 World Cup qualifying not so long ago. But, <laughs> boys, I'm sure we've got plenty of potential players here that can help Bo and his uh, BBL team in the future. Uh, who am I going to throw this to first? I'm going to go Nick. Nick, who do you have uh, in your little notebook shortlist of players uh, on your scouting radar? Well, there's there's all the usual suspects that we, we talk about all the time. Guys like Bill Alcan, who, who bowls you know, amazing... Uh, Yorkers and, and swings at a mile for Oman. Uh, Herat Erasmus from Namibia, oh, probably the best player. batsman in associate cricket at the moment. Um, Kamal Levrock, absolutely wax it. Handy uh, seam bowler as well. Bongy. Yeah, bongy. Free bongy. Free bongy. Um, McLeod from Scotland. Uh, Callum McLeod, who uh, absolutely pummeled uh, Rashid Khan in the, uh, in the World Cup qualifiers a couple of years ago and also pummeled Adil Rashid in that famous win against England. So, um, yeah, bringing him in as an anti, uh, anti-Rashid specialist uh, would, would probably work well. Um, one, one less obvious pick would be one for me, a guy I've been, uh, I've been bumping up for a while now, Nikolai Damgaard from Denmark, who oh, yeah. uh, bowls very tidily with uh, left-arm ortho and has, over, over the summer, he's developed into a, a very handy slogger as well. He, he hit a few handy innings for his club sides in Denmark, so uh, I think he'd be a good out. Look, if they want a left-arm spinner slogger, they've got one in Brisbane already, okay? So uh, <laughs> they don't need to use up one of their overseas player slots. <laughs> Come on, Bez, you go. You've written such a list here. I'm afraid of the ones that I... Well, that's that's Nick, but... <laughs> Look, 
Personally, I think someone that has been slept on a little bit and has worked with a member of a BBL team's uh, coaching staff as well, uh, CJ Amini. Uh, I think he needs to get a taste at some point. Leg spinning all rounder. Bats in the middle order for PNG, but I could probably see him realistically sliding down a little bit, but churning out some vital runs, you know, between, say, seven and eight. Uh, I think he, he has it all. He's got the style as well. He's quick between the wickets. I, I'd, If I was a coach in, in the BBL, I'd certainly be having a look and bringing him in. Um, and he worked. He works with Joe Dawes at PNG, and Joe Dawes is the assistant to Jason Gillespie at uh, Adelaide Strikers. And we know Rashid Khan's potentially going away for Afghanistan's uh, ODI Super League series against Ireland in a couple of weeks' time. And I don't think they really have much leg spinning cover there. So he would have been more than, than handy at the strikers, potentially. A couple of players that, that are uh, obviously... I think Erasmus is is a certain, almost a walk-up starter in, in terms of quality emerging players. Uh, Nick made a good point that Nasana Pukana could be a good option as well from PNG. I think JJ Smith would work perfectly in Australian conditions and with the new power surge uh, in the BBL this year, I think that probably would have freed him up as a, as a bowling all-rounder because I've never seen anyone bat like him as a bowling all-rounder where he can still manufacture inside-out cover drives over cover against both pace and spin. Mm. I think he is a is a better batsman than I think even Namibia probably give him credit for. I think I, I think they've got a very strong batting lineup and they don't necessarily need him in the middle order. But I think that for almost any other associate member country, I could see him easily batting in the top six, potentially, probably at six realistically. And George Munsey. Oh, wax it. We've seen him get a little bit more opportunity in, in the emerging game. I don't really think he took his chances in, in the Vitality Blast, unfortunately, but... I think in Australian conditions on Australian wickets, I think him hitting the way he hits, I could very much see him flourishing in Australian conditions. But yeah, I've got to say that the Tim David's been a revelation for Hobart. He's almost the missing link there is kind of that lower order batting option and, and he's handy in that power surge period, which I've actually been a fan of, of that change, having you know two overs elected in a power play rather than just six up front. And it does bring out the best in guys like David. So I think... JJ Smith probably fits the, a similar bill, and he bowls, you know, left arm seam. Um, can bring it back into the right hander or push it across the right hander. I think it, he'd be a, a great choice. Well, if you look at all rounders, I think from my point of view, that fit that that similar mold. And considering you two have just named every international cricketer for Associate Nations for the past four years, <laughs> you don't really leave me um, much. So, what about Paris? <laughs> I, I wasn't going to say him, but from an all rounder point of view, you know, Karen KC um, is someone that you could. Maybe even be a bit of a what have they called it? Your um, your X Factor. <laughs> yes, X Factor. Cool. Someone like Karen Casey, X Factor, but again, someone there low down the order. Bats, bowls. Patrick Matatava, Vanuatu. Oh yeah, great uh, I just shout. love to see him bat on good wickets. Norman Vanua. You know, we haven't we haven't mentioned him either, and I think some saw him in UAE save. You know, his country in that game against against Kenya when they were, you know, was it six for 19? I think, was it similar to what India was? Yeah, they were in a lot of trouble. I can't remember exactly, but... Oh, they were like similar to us in Namibia. You know, we basically looked at like, oh, bloody hell, dead and buried here. <laughs> so those sort of impact players that I, I... You've already named the class players. You know, Anchi wouldn't be able to do it. But again, you know, class players like that, like a... a Jared Erasmus. Um, I have to every time I hear his name, and I, I pronounce it like uh, Nick does, but I can't. My mouth can't get that out. <laughs> um, 
and they just got picked up um, in the Abu Dhabi T10 league as well. But Kishal Muller yeah. from N- Nepal, he's he's young. What is he now? 16, 17? Who like knows? He, he's going to be a star. So maybe he he's one to maybe not this year. But again, if he's part of the squad, someone like that could be as well. And I don't, I don't know whether we don't quite count him because he's a professional cricketer in the UK, originally from South Africa, but someone like Roloff Vandermover. Like, oh, mm. Can you imagine yeah. him? In, he, imagine the role he'd play. Another handy left-arm ortho slogger, yeah. Yeah, he almost walks into most of these teams at the moment, if we're honest. Yeah, and, and well, I, I don't know why he ha- hadn't been considered anyway because, you know, when they flew out Samet Patel last year for the for the oh, Renegades, God, you know, someone yeah. like Rol- Roloff, like he can bat anywhere through the order. So there are some good players in the, in the emerging game there as well, even if you guys did name, name all of <laughs> So yeah, uh, but you know, someone like getting Patrick Matatava, imagine getting him like even a one big bash game. Look, he could, could play a lot more, but the effect that that could have on, on Vanuatu cricket. Yeah, there's so much talent out there, but it's also how they, they're working their rosters. And, and with this X factor, I, I don't know, yeah, it's how they manage that, the list really, and what what part they could play. But, um, you know, with, with the performances of some of the players at the moment, I don't want to, it's not, I don't want to get bitchy and moany because the whole point of this is having you know, more teams than there are states means it's giving opportunities to players that we wouldn't see otherwise because it would have been the same players getting picked and having eight franchises or not franchises, eight clubs means that we've got to see players. The likes, likes of Josh Philippi, you know, from, from WA was again a, a gig with the Scorchers, recognised, comes over, plays for the, the Sixers, and probably everyone thinks he's from New South Wales because that's where he's got his his go. Or uh, Darcy Short again, similar from the top end, trying to make it in the West, doesn't get to you know that, that's that. These are some really good stories for for cricket Australia and Australian cricket in general. So I don't want to poo poo the idea of of giving chances to players that might not have played state cricket otherwise. But again, there's enough talent out there that wouldn't be costing a, a bomb either to have them out there that would be bringing quality cricketers into the Big Bash, but also supporting the game. Even if we only looked in the EAP region, there's enough talent around there. That's another way of looking at it too. The other thing for me too, and looking at it as as someone who has to study up on on BBL cricket a lot and seeing a lot of these overseas guys fly in and out and be replacement players for each other, the calendar in associate cricket would... It basically opens itself up for these guys to be fully available for the whole six to eight weeks for the tournament as well. Uh, Sandeep is an exception because he was in a national camp. He then actually got COVID and was in quarantine. So that sort of delayed his stay a little bit. But say if Tim David was an Australian and he was playing as, as an international player for Singapore... You're laughing because he's there for eight weeks and he's available whenever you need to call on someone like him. So, you know, there are guys like Amini and, and all the players that we mentioned here who are twiddling their thumbs looking for the next opportunity in cricket and, and just to earn a keep. You know, Paul Van Makeren's there delivering Uber Eats to people. He'd love to be playing cricket out here. And just seeing these guys and, and the people doing the recruitment having to, you know, move this jigsaw around and try and fit everyone in and make sure they've got overseas players available for the whole tournament you kill two birds with one stone there you know you don't have to worry about players availability because they're not playing international cricket at that point and you're giving players a go i mean i think you could almost make a case for four overseas players playing in the bbl anyway because i don't think there is enough i don't think those international players are pushing out excellent domestic cricketers and i think if if the bbl has any aspirations of being akin to the IPL or a tournament, you know, of that substance, then, yeah, I can't see why they can't pick four overseas players. And again, I can't see why, you know, the the cream of the associate crop can't 
jump in on that action too. We've given that question a great nudge. So Bo Nicholson will be very, very happy with what we've uh, achieved there. Jeremy Slough, man, we know very well, Nick, a good friend of yours. Mm. Uh, wanted to know what happened to Ireland this year? Beat England and then no matches. Uh, I know COVID has affected all that, but I think overall quite a decent year in, in Irish cricket. Uh, yeah, they had a few cancellations uh, towards the back end. Um, they were supposed to play a test match against Sri Lanka, I believe, and that didn't happen. But the schedule is gradually filling up for 2021. And uh, lucky for Jez, the Irish are playing against UAE and then Afghanistan all this month. Um, they, they've got the uh, the Cricket World Cup uh, League 2 series against Afghanistan and, and they're stopping off to, to play the UAE as well. Um, and, and that's basically that's what the, the League 2 structure was designed to alleviate was the lack of matches and lack of consistency in in their schedule so you know looking ahead they, their schedule isn't too bad the, the sort of summer autumn period they've got South Africa which I don't think has been uh, cancelled or postponed they're definitely touring uh, Netherlands at, at, I mean at this stage we, we don't know what's going to happen with the virus situation uh, Zimbabwe's are going to come over and they've also got Afghanistan at home I think later on in the year so they've got a few series coming up so yeah hold hold tight Jeremy <laughs> you'll you'll see the Irish in action in not too long but it, it you know looking a bit more broadly it is um, the, the kind of issue that is constantly facing the you know Ireland and Afghanistan as the newest full members and and trying to squeeze them into the schedule you know obviously we saw Afghanistan's test match against Australia get uh, pushed back and and sort of juggled around because basically because cricket Australia was trying to clear the deck for India and this as you know we've we've talked about a lot the coronavirus has uh, sort of exacerbated or, or highlighted a lot of problems that were already there in terms of the, the inequalities of international cricket. So I think Ireland, um, yes, they're full members, but in, in a lot of ways, they're still treated as associates by the rest of the full members. Yeah. Nate Hayes, a friend of the pod, a member, a key member of the emerging cricket team, one of our favourites here. Huge shout out to Nate. He had a couple of questions lined up for us. And I tell you what, they made us think long and hard uh and i'm just looking at them now before we've got two big ones here uh let's start with this one each of you that's you tim and nick and myself uh each of you name (laughs) one idea you like (laughs) yeah no worries each of you name one idea you like or come up with an idea to put women's cricket front and center also the same question for associate cricket for me, this is actually quite a difficult question, um, and I'm actually going to throw it to Nick first because I want to copy his answers. No, not really, I don't, but I'd love to know what Nick has to say about, on this. Uh, well, yeah, uh, one, one, just one idea. I mean, that's, yeah. Um, in a lot of ways, the two things are, are linked, I think, uh, especially in terms of the way that women's cricket is able to get a bit more cut through, I think, in, in some associate countries because the countries don't have an established history with cricket. So in a way, you know, you look at Australia and, and the history of um, the men's cricket team and, and the cultural significance of that. And I, th- I think that was a bit of a roadblock in the past to, to, you know, people showing interest in the women's game because there was so much history with the men's, um, the men's side of things. Um, so I think... In places like uh, like Brazil or, or even Hong Kong, um, where where you were um, involved, Tim, the women's cricket got a bit more attention locally because football was uh, sort of traditionally a male sport, and and you know, women getting involved in that was a bit harder. So cricket was able to uh, to position itself as a as a gender neutral sport or you know a sport for everyone. So in terms of 
putting women's cricket front and centre and, and putting associate cricket front and centre, they kind of help each other. In associates, putting women's cricket front and centre helps you develop the game, um, which, which sort of uh, you know, feeds off itself. In terms of countries where cricket is already popular, it's a slightly different question. And, and I think, I mean, Cricket Australia, I, I have uh, complained about them in, in a lot of ways, but one of the things they've done a really good job at is promoting women's cricket. And basically, it just needed the investment to show people that they should take it seriously. And, and it might not have the same sort of cultural cachet as the men's cricket, but it's still cricket. And I mean, a lot of Australian cricket fans have, have responded to that. And I mean, basically, women's cricket here is generally viewed in terms of, well, great, more cricket. Let's let's get into it. Yeah. So I think, yeah, for, for, for countries where cricket's already an established sport, it's a lot easier to, to put the women's game uh, you know, at the front because people are willing to watch cricket. So you, you've already got that step. And in countries where, where cricket is, is a minority sport, I think putting women's cricket at the front it gives it a competitive advantage against um, against other sports. So that's that's my long-winded answer is that they're, they're very much linked. I agree wholeheartedly. A lot of these initiatives, you know, I've got a little bit more detailed in me thinking about it. And it's something we talk about on the men's side a lot or maybe assume that we're talking about the men's side, but having a, a centralised pot for global leagues on the on the men's side and the World Cup leagues. I do it on the, on the women's side as well in terms of revising the women's championship and actually turning it into a global league system that, that has divisions. How, however we do it, I, you know, I, it's not a matter of not caring, but I, I don't know how that could work, but whether it's regionally or whether we, we do it by strength. But doing that from the top down. So unlike World Cup leagues that are that are funded and the money goes to associates to host, I would take that money out of the the funding to full members and say, well, you know, we're actually going to fund this centrally and we're going to and we're not only going to pay for the tournament, but we're also going to have a minimum player pot. There'll be paid players will get a minimum um, income level and it'll also be broadcast because we'll sell the rights separately, just like the ICC has done for associate cricket. Um, and that's international cricket, you know, on the flip side to that, and I know I talked to, to Jared at length about, you know, is T20 cricket broken? Good podcast, that. Men's T20 cricket is broken. Mm. Yeah. Women's T20 cricket is not broken. There's a real opportunity to create a global league or regional leagues that tie in and, and help the countries of which they'll be hosted in, but don't create these kind of siloed super leagues that um, that end up dominating and not allowing anyone else to grow around there. So whether it's a, I don't want to say traveling circus because that kind of belies what I'm kind of getting at, but actually having a league that is played in different places around the world, but has, has franchise teams that have local representation when they're playing in those particular places around the world they actually have chances for for more women to play professional cricket and whether it's whether we have quotas um in terms of players from country numbers but to to make sure that it's just not all filled up from from certain countries i just think there's a real way to 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 bring professional women's sport even even higher and maybe it's an either or we look at the national team game and think that that's the opportunity if we know that those countries are going to be funded and we don't worry about t20 franchise cricket but also really start looking at how a a women's a professional women's t20 league could could work because there's really only only two running now with the hundred we'll count the hundred as t20 but we've got the (laughs) wbbl and what the hundred's going to be uh, you know, and the women's IPL, look, this, India's big enough that they could squash any of these if they really wanted to, but they haven't done it yet. There's a real chance here for cricket, and I mean in general. It might even be the ICC 
doing it. I, I, I don't know, or someone clever enough to see that there's a real opportunity here to invest, and, and, and it should be done. It's not, it shouldn't just be a financial thing, and that's why I think if we do it out of the national pot and we actually encourage it that way, and I know telling the four members that we're going to take a couple of mil off you a year or whatever because you know we're going to going to run it centrally but you know there's a lot of conversation that would need to help happen there but I think there's a like I think I mentioned it earlier about what women's cricket needs to take that next step and it's having a a global league system even if we say t20 only just for this for for this argument for a Germany to know you know for for them to be playing more more often more quality cricket more often um, to get up the, the the ladder just as the men's teams were able to do from from world cricket league division eight back in um back in the late 2000s you know i think that's that's what women cricket needs and we can actually start it you know we're doing it from scratch so we can go back and say what worked what didn't and there's enough money in the pot so that's my answer from a women's point of view and look i talk enough about centralized pots and and uh, global leagues for ams and i i think the icc has gone down the right path with Selling the commercial rights to those pathway events, that would have been my idea. The ICC have done it. So rather than trying to tweak my, my only answer about putting AM cricket front and centre is when the ICC decides who that goes to, to make sure that it can be watched by as many people as possible. And the ICC, although they've sold the commercial rights, that they're able to use their network as well, their 35 million followers across their social media assets um, and channels, I should say. You know, you can see that what's happening in the moment with the players pushing back around using their images um, for World Cups and whatnot. I know 92 cricket nations that would love their players to be front and centre mm. of all these things. And, and, there's a, and, and there's a real opportunity here for the ICC to, to own it. And I don't mean in a, you know, my bat and ball and going home, but to own, own this cricket and to, to really celebrate it with an OTT as in an over-the-top technology answer from streaming with this new partner they're going to have. So that's my answer for AM Cricket, and hopefully we're on our way there already. Look, I think women's cricket, they're sitting on a gold mine. Everyone is sitting on a potential gold mine of women's cricket here because I can't see why cricket can't emulate the likes of, say, I look at, say, international tennis and, and the way that both of both men's and women's tennis is kind of weighed up. I can't see anything stopping cricket being at that level of relative parity, although the one difference being is that cricket works better, women's cricket works better when tournaments are standalone. I don't think you could ever go back to a situation where men's and women's tournaments are held concurrently in an attempt to equalize the game. I very much think that CA got it right by having the BBL, the WBBL being a standalone tournament and putting all the qualities of women's cricket aside, you know, talk about, you know, the overrates are better. You get through the games faster. Um, the strategy around women's cricket and how totals are, are compiled from a, from a batting side of things, I think is actually one of its, one of its key strengths. But looking at say a model like, and Tim, you definitely talked about this, something like, uh, what the Rugby Sevens World Tour does where all the, the countries basically go around to different places on a weekend and have a tournament. If you had, similar to what, and I was talking talking to Lisa Stalaker about this, she wanted to have a tournament like this in Singapore in 2014. The idea didn't quite get off the ground. And I think Sean Martin, who I'm pretty sure is involved with Fair Break Global, Tim, you might be able to correct me if I'm wrong there, but they had the idea in, in regards to something like that then. But to bring it to your idea, Tim, which I think is definitely has legs, is to have, say, four or five teams that are 
made up predominantly of some of your best international women's talent. They travel around different portions, different parts of the emerging world. And then the players that actually slide into those teams are players from that particular country. So for instance, I don't know, we had the tournament in Thailand or in in Singapore or Hong Kong. And then you'd have, say, five or six players in each team already selected the cream of the crop from the four-member game. And then you have kind of like a draft where you pick Thai players, Singapore, Malaysian players to fill up those teams. And you kind of do it in a world tour kind of format. But I think that's probably a very fantastical idea. I don't know how realistic something like that would be. But the beauty of, of women's cricket is that it's it's exciting and working on women's cricket this year, the WBBL absolutely loved all of it, to be honest. I would do it again tomorrow if, if I could. And the talent that everyone brought to that and the, the skills that are on show are incredible. And, you know, we've got world champions in a sport, you know, on our doorstep right now in Australia. And again, you know, we have the likes of India who are probably able to put up a women's IPL tomorrow if they had to to match that of the men's IPL in terms of teams and numbers, and, and they haven't quite got there yet, which I I do scratch my head a little bit in regards to, and I think we're very behind that. But, you know, as Nick said, Cricket Australia has done several things wrong in its past, but one thing that it's 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 smashed out of the park is its, is its promotion and, and the way that the WBBL has run because it, it didn't work when they were the, the pre-game entertainment to a men's bbl game it's worked perfectly you know i see boys men go to wbbl games there's no reason why that can't happen in the associate world and you know on a on a more more global context i've talked a lot there and i've kind of rambled so i'll jump straight into nate's second question you're not going to answer about am cricket though well the best way to put associate cricket front and center is to have more teams at a world cup that's probably the, the, <laughs> the easiest answer in all of that but i do think that that was the gorilla uh, in the room wasn't it you know yeah <laughs> the, someone had to say it yeah the gorilla on the table <laughs> <laughs> the world cup qualifier i, I think f- from an associate point of view i think the world cup qualifier has such potential to be such a huge event that introduces people to associate cricket and i think that we we've heard the the factoid thrown around that it's one of the few global events that actually turns a profit in, in the emerging game. But that World Cup qualifier was brilliant last year. And to have it split into two lots of eight, you know, it might work. It could well work if if we do get the exposure that we want out of that. But I think just to play on the emotions that associate cricket has had for all this time, the reason why we've all fallen in love with associate cricket is that there's so much bearing on every single game. And the likes of a World Cup qualifier, there's a lot bearing on that. It's the chance to represent your country at a World Cup in the in the sport that you've endeavoured to, to be a star or, you know, a high-profile player at. So a lot of those guys have put their whole life into cricket, and I think the World Cup qualifier has the potential to really encapsulate everything that, you know, the human drama of sport has in it. And, and, and cricket is such a great metaphor for life. You know, you can go out there feeling a million bucks and get out for one, but it just adds another dimension to, to all of that. So I think, yeah, from an associate point of view, I think make a, a bit more of a song and dance about uh, World Cup qualifier, global events. And just on, as, as you mentioned that, talking about the global qualifier, and I sort of, I turned my nose up as you kind of said about the split event because it takes the onus away from a single event. But then one thing that annoyed me about the event was the superfluous 
semi-finals and finals. Yes. Um, yeah, that's that, a good point. And and look, I, I know all too well that a third place finish was so important in in one event for us in particular, and Hong Kong that got us Olympic funding. But having these split events into two eight-team events are going to mean that I'm guessing those two spots. How many spots are they playing for? Four spots, aren't they? So each event will play for two. So it's going to go down to the semi-finals at least, a bit like the women's. T20 World Cup qualifier that it will go down it will go a lot further to the end end of the event rather than having a couple of days of cricket that actually doesn't mean anything in the context of the of the um, of the spot I'm not sure how they're going to to play that if they're two two eight teams they're going to play each other once and then just rank it that way or are they going to go into finals I'd, I'd if you got answers let me know but it, you know I think that's I, I hadn't even thought about it that 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 deeply when you sort of mentioned but how good that event has been and the one that you're talking about is the 2015 event that i think blew all expectations out of the water because they were that was the first time they'd really invested in in you know icc tv money um into the production of that and it was great you know i remember being in ireland and going to a mate's house there in, in belfast and turning it on sky you know there there are the games that are that, that are on and that's front and center exactly as uh, as nate hayes asked about there you go, Nate. I hope you're happy. <laughs> That's only one of his two questions as well. <laughs> well yeah, it's, oh, it's, oh, exactly. It's only, geez. Second question. Uh, he wants us to reimagine one athlete from another sport as a cricketer. Who wants to go first on this one? This one actually probably put a little bit too much thought into. Well, I, <laughs> I've seen I've seen Nick's answer, yes. so I'm not sure if we should have the guy with the long answer go first or, or last. You decide, Mr. Host. <laughs> The fact that Nick had already done this, you know, that he'd done this before the question, I think that we need to make that clear to all the listeners that, oh, I've actually already done this and only with Canadian sports people. <laughs> <laughs> it was a real quiet day in Gosford that week. Oh, well, that, it's always that a quiet Wednesday, day in Gosford, it? mate. You don't know what it's like. <laughs> oh, exactly. You go, Nick. This is, this is your, your chance to shine. This is a, this is a juicy full toss for me. Um, yes, so in one of the one of the older Bradman cricket games, I uh, I made a Canadian celebrity team, uh, which included a lot of non-sports players as well. But from the sports side of things, uh, I had Steve Nash uh, from basketball as a swing bowler, bit of a sort of Damien Fleming sort of mould, uh, very accurate considering his uh, his great record on free throws in the NBA. Um, I had Wayne Gretzky from Oz Hockey, obviously. Uh, obviously, he's a, a brilliant fielder capable of executing a run out from anywhere. Um, his technique would be watertight. And basically, he's the Don Bradman of ice hockey. So, um, you know, shots all around the ground, adept at piercing the gap. Another one which dates this project of mine um, was Anthony Bennett, who um, was picked up in the NBA as, uh, I think he was the number one draft pick. Uh, in the I sort think of, he might have been, yeah. Yeah, mid-20-teens, but um, really fell off the radar. But um, anyway, so I, I had him down as a an intimidating fast bowler, you know, using his height to generate uh, some, some frightening bounces. You know, the, obviously the basketball thing being being extremely tall and athletic. Um, some non-sports ones off the top of my head uh, were, were Getty Lee from Rush. Uh, so I had him down as a bit of a, an A.B. A. De Villiers, you know, very creative, all the trick shots uh, reflecting you know, Rush's uh, prog rock, um, a lot of uh, creativity in their music. 
Uh, the astronaut Chris Hadfield, I had him down as a, a Glenn McGrath style line and length um, because, you know, to become an astronaut, it takes a lot of discipline and a lot of uh, self-control. And another one uh, that, that I, I liked was uh, David Cronenberg, the supernatural uh, horror film director as a, a bamboozling leg spinner, terrifying the batsman with, uh, you know, weaving a web. Um, I mean, I, I could go on, but I'll let you guys have a, have a chance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tim, you asleep yet? Uh, uh, um, that's that's extraordinary. Um, <laughs> look, all, all I'll say is it takes all types. It takes all types. <laughs> um, I, look, for me, th- there are other sports apart from cricket. You know, the NBA ended for me in you know about '95. You know, when I stopped stopped trading cards. So my, you know, minute bowl. You <laughs> oh. know, seven foot six, seven foot seven. Sudanese. Like, if you only grow the game in Sudan, do you not want a guy who's two point three meter tall? <laughs> Running in with a new rock, you imagine that. That's, I guess, it's a bit of an obvious one. But no, look, I think Nick is uh, he's done the done, done the time here, and I, and I just <laughs> and I just immediately go to you know what do you know best here, Tim? It's like the Cronulla Sharks of the 1990s. And so now that if you look at the pitches side by side, and their builds like Peach is probably more of a you know a little bit more sporty, can run run a bit faster. But Muhammad Nadim from Oman and David Peachy, I think they're you know separated at birth. They're just cross cultural lookalikes. Yeah. So I can imagine him just running in some cheeky little induckers and whatnot and then and then batting the top order all day and brett kamali at that time i don't know probably behind the stumps but um i don't know give me another 13 years and i'll go and research all of the sports people of a country that i'm i'm not from like you are but um you know <laughs> and to go through and put together that 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 is a podcast that that is a deep point podcast yeah. just, <laughs> you, you, i i, I would specifically I for that, nate i i vote that we cut this out and we just recast it as Nick's dip point on Canadian sports people who could be cricketers. Um, that, I read it. I read. I read it in the paper in front of me, and I couldn't believe I had to stop halfway. It's like, like this isn't this isn't even all of them. It's like you have run out of characters in your Dropbox paper document. Yeah. It's like supernatural horror film director. It's like where, where is this going? This is this is going somewhere amazing. Anyway, so um. That's it. Maybe I should have put more effort into this, Nate. I'm sorry. I'll come back to you another time. Um, I could basically name what cricket position the entire sort of 96 Sharkies team could be in, but that's, <laughs> I, I would say that's too niche, but you've just taken us down down a canal yeah, of you, niche. Yeah, you, yes. <laughs> Tim, I don't want to make you feel old, but... You, you don't want me to... Make, I can make myself feel old. Don't worry. Manute Bull's son is now in the NBA. That's how long you've been out of, uh, oh, wow. <laughs> out of the NBA. And his name is Bull. Bowl, bowl. So you don't need to waste too many brain cells trying to remember that name. No, and look, there's only one position in cricket that they could play. Well, exactly. I, I did, that didn't even come to mind. I just thought tallest basketball player I know. Um, there's also Georgie, someone Mahazen or something at the same time was from Russia or Georgia or whatever. So if you're trying to grow the game there, so look, I'm not just going to go down the pathway of name, naming the tallest basketball players I know because we've already <laughs> been on for. Uh, an hour and three quarters at this stage. So um. before I get into my, I've got two that are two rather obvious ones, but I did want to make a point, Nick making reference to the great one, Wayne Gretzky. My favorite all time piece of trivia is that him and his brother Brent hold the record for the most NHL combined points by two brothers. So goals and assists put together. They hold the record as the most combined for brothers, two brothers. <laughs> Wayne has 2,857. Brent has four. <laughs> it's one of my... One of the best, one of the best pieces of trivia. I, th- I think I use it every single time I run a trivia night. I run that one. But <laughs> to go to my... I've got two. 
And a couple of pretty obvious ones, I think. I think Tiger. Tiger is a middle-order batsman, I think, would be incredible. Not only the range of shots that he has and the ability to manipulate the ball around trees and stuff, hitting his draws, fades, his stingers, whatnot, turning that into inside-out cover drives and reverse sweeps and being crafty on the putting green. I actually think, too, that the best part of his game is concentration. He would have been. A, I think he would have been able to bat long Brian Lara periods of time. Yeah, I'm thinking a bit of a bit of Ponting crossover with him. Actually, thinking about his game and his wrist. That's that's what that's what I'm seeing in my mind. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that's a good shout. Yeah, I like that. And the other one, and to kind of stick with the, the the basketball here, just from a from a height standpoint, I would have liked to have seen a red kookaburra in the hands of Luke Longley. I think him at two meet whatever seven foot two or whatever he is. Uh, yeah, good luck playing that. I'm <laughs> giving him a long, a long blade. Yeah, those long levers, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> we discussed this before, and we weren't going to say that we word. We weren't going to say it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But then you sort of you think about you know oh well you know we've had tall cricketers you know Tom Moody six foot six or six seven. It's like uh, yeah, yeah, not that tall. Yeah, yeah, new level. No, I like it. I feel like I let the team down without my my research. It's Shaquille O'Neal. I thought about I him. I think, but I feel like he's not mobile enough. No, what, what's he going to do? Yeah, he, he'd be the classic seven foot seven guy who actually bowls left arm orthodox, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Doing the Solomon Ben. There is nothing wrong with tall people bowling left arm orthodox. <laughs> Solomon. Cutler over there. Yep, my brother's name's Ben, but that's another conversation. Anyway, oh well, there you go. Yeah, I hope we've given that a good nudge for you, Nate. I think we have. Uh, to Cam Allen, one of our one of our patrons. Shout out to Cam. He's actually in your neck of the woods, Tim. He he tells us before I get into his question, he's had to move back to Oz with the COVID situation in Europe. He's heading back to Switzerland, uh, hopefully a few times over the next year, but we'll be back in Australia. But the the question that he did want to ask was surrounding the Owen Morgan coaching analyst signals from from the dugout. And he, he did acknowledge that this wasn't necessarily just a question uh, from emerging cricket. But in terms of the overall sanctity of international cricket, I think it's a very good question. Uh, he wanted to know, you know, is there a fairness issue in all of this here? Because realistically, how many teams in the world can afford an analyst like that, which gives them another competitive advantage over the rest of the field? What do you guys think? Now, to be honest, I look at cricket as very much a game that is coached and run by the players on the field. I think that cricket has a very different dynamic between players and coaches where the captain of the team ultimately has kind of the ultimate vote in the decision of how things are played out. I don't know how different that is in regards to 2020 and and limited overs cricket where yeah, we do see more analysis and analytics feed into the game and, and matchups are spoken about. And you can micromanage a little bit more in T20 cricket based on the, the number of balls and, and who's facing, who's bowling and, and whatnot. Where do we see this? I think this is a, a thing that will only evolve in the future unless you know things dramatically change from a governing body standpoint. But, but Tim, where do you kind of see all of that playing into international cricket? Or in fact, in in other franchise domestic cricket or even even in emerging and associate cricket? Yeah, look, I don't have a huge issue with it. Uh, and I would rather signals from the balcony um, being worked out in seconds than someone running gloves out and wasting time. That's a great you know? point, yeah. Yeah, so look, the messages are getting out there anyway. And I, I love your point. And I was uh, on a date 
uh, the other night. Oh, and, let's uh, go. <laughs> Let's go. And I, and I was uh, genuine questions from uh, my companion about the game and about captaincy and coaching. And you know, she was amazed at, at how much power rests with the captain. You know, not quite quite sure about who makes a decision about who does this. And, who, and it was great to answering those questions of someone looking at it from a new as a as a new fan, but from different angles. And I think that's one of the great things about cricket is that how it's run. You know, with a captain on the field, how much control that person has and and how this could potentially does it reset the balance because you know the captain will be going out there sometimes with the numbers in their pocket saying about certain players certain matchups um, especially in t20 cricket all about matchups and partnerships but if they're able to do this go for it you know if it ends up being with a you know tap of the year and a, and a hat, hat cap as the captain's looking up there then then, then super that brings a, an element to the game that's not detracting from the the spectator's game bringing other skills potentially in it but like i said as long as it's not wasting time and if that means that gloves aren't being run out again but but in saying that t20 cricket now you know every over there are players going out there with a helmet or with drinks or with gloves so but yeah on the, on the base of it you know no I'm, I'm i'm fine there are bigger bigger things in the game to worry about this isn't one of them yeah, it was interesting when, when it sort of all came out. Uh, my first thought was that uh, Bob Woolmer is shown to be ahead of his time once again. You know, the the, uh, the earpiece ploy with uh, with Hansi Kronje, you know, feeding him instructions from the dressing room uh, <laughs> over a microphone. Um, so that was, that was quite interesting. But uh, yeah, in terms of the fairness thing, I think just the fact that they have the money to pay all of these, you know, backroom staff, that in itself, you know, you, it's not it's not just analysts. It's the the dieticians and the psychologists and the massage therapists and and all the rest of it. That's always just going to be an issue of uneven resource distribution. And the richer teams have always been able to afford better staff. And so I, I don't think it's anything different in that sense. Um, and and I know quite a lot of the top associates are definitely putting that as a priority. We we have um, uh, James Hilditch uh, with the Dutch uh, works a lot with um, with stats and, and analytics for for Cambo. Um, I know the Scottish have uh, have hired our our friend Jared Kimber actually uh, on occasion. Um, so you know, they are they are trying to um, they are trying to compete. But it, yeah, it's it's tough being able to afford it when there's a lot of other things that you, you need to put money into. Uh, I guess the only sort of thing that sticks for me is that I guess um, I agree to him about the time wasting and, you know, these messages get out there anyway and there's nothing more frustrating than seeing people changing gloves and bats and helmets every couple of balls and, and that's extremely irritating as a fan. But so, you know, if if, if, if your hand signals um, cut that out, I'm all for it. But it just, it, it does shift the game a little bit away from, as you were saying, Bez, from it being completely the captain's prerogative to being more the kind of the, the dressing room, um, the coach whispering in their ear, perhaps literally. Um, but yeah, I think overall, uh, I, th- I think it's probably good if, if they're going to save time. But you, you say that, I think watching some of the interviews during the Big Bash, them deciding when to take the power surge, you know, some of them saying, well, it's basically the coach's decision and it's going to come down from them mm, as opposed yeah. to players in the centre. So it's already happening. I don't think it'd be shifting. Oh, look, I guess, but you know, if, if they're allowed to do it and it's highlighted, you may see more analysts do it. But like I said, I, I don't think that, that that's the issue because I think it's, it's it's already happening. And you mentioned, you know, Hong Kong's had a full-time analyst as as long as I'd, I'd been involved in since. And, you know, he's now moved on to become a women's coach as well, but still travels with the men's as, as, as analysts. So 
you know, I think it's something that emerging teams have, have recognised of the importance and, you know, and what's been mentioned, the physios and psychologists and whatnot, they're there as well. They're just not their full-time activating almonds whilst on tour, <laughs> you know. They're, 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 they'll be there potentially on tour only and, and on part-time in between. You know, it's we're not talking about backwater amateur cricket when it comes to the, the upper echelons of, of associate ranks anyway. And look, into to think that maybe this will give more credence to the numbers and players will start taking notice because of, of where cricket is going um, from a sort of a money ball point of view. And, and this is only just a, a step along the way of cricket becoming a lot more data driven as opposed to, oh, this, you know, oh, this guy can't hit him. Um, you know, well, actually, we've done the research. Yeah, just to kind of wrap up on that, I, I don't really have too much to add that hasn't already been said. I think Tim makes a really good point that you know, these messages are being thrown out all the time um, by people bringing out new gloves and, and getting drinks of water. I think I watched, it was either today or yesterday, watching some of the BBL coverage and there was calls for new gloves and a new drink, uh, a drink of water four overs into an innings, which I find a little bit absurd. Um, so I think if it does improve the speed of the game a little bit you know it could be one of those things that is actually a, a real blessing in disguise if, if someone's able to get out there which they are at the moment and give a helmet to, to maxwell for the quick bowl and take it away if they're able to sprint out there and, and swap it and get back i've got no problem with that it's it's those moments that that is delaying the game you know i think and would it's one of the biggest frustrations over t20 cricket so any, any anything that would slow it down absolutely not and this is not one of those things i think is the my kind of my final takeaway yeah. All right. We're into the into the back end of the questions, and this question's from me to the pair of you. Uh, well, I suppose two questions. I can roll them into one. Your f- personal favourite cricketing memory, or I suppose any memory in general for two thousand and twenty, and what are your wishes for the year coming up? Put us on the um, on the spot there. Oh, look. Travelling to Perth and watching Thailand make their World Cup debut, something that I will never forget. Unfortunately, not being with you guys at the showground, I can't really use that as my memory. I was sort of watching it um, online, so I won't, I won't steal that for you. Um, good thing for me, the goodwill towards Vanuatu when they got their blast up and running and with everybody watching it, I think the, the positivity from the sort of global community about the game there, the way it was projected in a very approachable manner by, by Dietze and, and, and team, I just think it was just the kind of what, what the world needed at that stage. People loving playing the game, being able to be watched by everyone. You know, in a world that we didn't have a lot to cheer about, that was something great. And Cricket Wishes for 2021, wow. Well, we're already there. Um, and to see that the calendar <laughs> bulked from, the, from quarter two onwards, I can only hope that that that's able to, to happen because I, from a cricketing point of view, I don't want to getting, getting the vaccine out there and getting people healthy is, is priority number one. But I would hate to see the back end of this, this World Cup cycle truncated and a start going on rankings or something to be putting teams into, into qualifiers. I'm already halfway through an opinion piece. I actually stopped a bit about, you know, about using ranking positions at all for the, the the men's t20 world cup qualifiers was wrong because we should have been having the likes of zimbabwe and nepal back in regional qualifiers to try and get as much interest as possible with these teams that haven't been able to play get them back playing as much as you can especially in icc events the that's the last thing i'd want to look to the back end of 2021 if we've been not able to play 
Cricket World Cup 2 or T20 World Cup qualifying events that were supposed to, what happens? Um, and that's just a real fear for me. So I'm just hoping that we can get all that, that, that cricket in because by that stage as well, the new commercial broadcast agreement will be up and running and I can't wait to be watching as much of it as possible, whether it's from a couch or uh, from live when we're allowed out of the country again. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that's definitely my uh, wish for 2021 is just that the games won't be cancelled. Like, the, the there's so much cricket coming up for associate countries that I think it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be hard keeping up with it all. Um, so just the fact that it's happening and hopefully it does still happen. That's that's basically my only wish. Whether we can get there or not in person, I don't know, yeah, it all depends on on the virus and the vaccine and whatnot. But yeah, in terms of best moments from last year, I think I'll, I'll let you have the the showground one, Bez. Um, my no, my... no, 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 because I've got another one. Oh, okay. Well, uh, yeah. So definitely, um, just following Thailand in general, and um, obviously, big shout out to our friend Nish, who was working there as the the media rep for for Thailand and uh, doing a bit of EC work on the side. Um, just being able to to sort of be there as a as an emerging cricket team and and that you know emerging cricket's uh coverage of of the tournament was just just fantastic um one one little uh little one from my perspective as a canadian fan was seeing the u.s get bowled out for 35 by nepal um that was that was great comedy for me um, and um yeah as, as we mentioned earlier just germany getting on the park against austria although austria did struggle but you know setting some world records and uh you know generating a bit of interest in in german women's cricket i think that day at Monica when Thailand played England was was great for a number of reasons. I remember we recorded that podcast, sat one by one across this bed mm. trying to record because we couldn't find a table to record <laughs> at. And the best way we could do it was we had one microphone and we were handing it. I think I was in the middle and I was handing it to you on the left and, and Nish on the right to answer. Not answer very COVID question. safe in retrospect. In retrospect, no, but thankfully <laughs> I don't think. Uh, it had reached our shores at that point just yet. That, but sound, that sounds like a drinking game, doesn't it? Spin the microphone. <laughs> Spin the bus. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on, Beth, sorry. England were two for seven. And I just remember the media centre was so dominated by uh, English writers, um, people covering the event. Actually, you travelled out to, to Australia for the tournament and just the gasp. In the room when England were two for seven, when Danny Wyatt was was caught by um, Langprosset, it was actually a really good catch too. Amazing catch, yeah. And just remembering the kind of the nervousness actually at that point around, and I think I think deep down we all knew which way that game was going to go eventually. But to be in that position, I, I thought was was incredible. One personal moment from from that, and Nick. I need you to kind of back me up on this actually happening because it was so awesome. Oh, I think I, I know think where you know where it's going. <laughs> so L- Latte, the Latte, the left arm Orthodox spinner, bowled a Soraya, yeah, yeah, bowled a a waist high full toss. I think it was to Nat Siva, and it was given a no ball, and it was hit for four. And I don't know how many how many listeners would know, but when you're actually in the media center, you can actually hear the the commentary of the of the feed actually being played for you so you can kind of pick up on um stump cam and and stuff like that and i remember the ball the balls hit to the boundary and i just and i just said to nick oh that's a gift and then the next thing that everyone else in the room hears is ian bishop's commentary that's a gift and the whole room's just <laughs> turned around and looked as like as if to say like you somehow on the same page as ian bishop there's plenty of worse people in the world to be on the same page as so i'll take that every day of the week but one more other memory that i did really 
enjoy, and it was from the Under-19 World Cup, was we saw Japan play at that tournament and we knew that it was going to be tricky. We knew how they qualified for that tournament. In, in all of that controversy, one of the great stories was to see Japan take on the likes of England and India and they played Nigeria as well. And I remember watching a little bit of, of the games that we did manage to to get on the feeds because they didn't show all of them. But there was a lot of talk of you know a couple of the Japanese players who showed glimpses of of some real quality in the qualifiers. We talked about Marcus Thurgate a lot, but there was a, a kid by the name of Shunaguchi who stood up to both the Indian attack and the English attack. I think he made 20 odd against England and he made, I think he made 31 against Nigeria. And I, I really thought that he was actually a great image and a, and a great role model for what associate cricket can be. Um, and then reading a little bit more into his story further on in the tournament, he was raised in Sano, which we know is, is, the, is the cricket city in Japan. And he's actually been exposed to cricket from a very young age. So it, it proves to me that it doesn't necessarily matter where you're from. If you're, if you're brought into to cricket from very young and you, and you listen and you develop your skills from, you know, in many different ways, you know, the, the sky is the limit. And I think someone like Noguchi just um, shows everyone that, which I, I thought was quite strong um and yeah when we were doing our sort of plays to watch under 21 when there wasn't much cricket going on we we tried to sort of profile shoe's story a little bit better but i think you know he's one that i'll definitely be looking out for in 2021 and beyond but yeah my wish is just to to call more live cricket with you guys i had so much fun doing it in namibia and yeah 2020 wasn't ideal there was a few things we had plans on doing but fortunately unfortunately that didn't materialize so yeah, I mean, it is it is a pipe dream still to see the uh, vaccine being rolled out and, and Australia very much sort of at the back end of all that because we thought we had it covered already and it turned out that, no, we didn't. There was a few more cases to roll in. But look, yeah, with a lot of associate cricket, just being on a couch, just watching cricket as a, almost as a fan, but doing our stuff here will be great. Um, and yeah, calling any of it will be a, a bonus because it's a lot of fun to do and it's a lot of fun to do with, with you guys as well. Going to try and get three ODIs in, in one day, Bez? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, I don't God. think so. <laughs> if only there's three games, you could have gone between three. But to your point on the, the gasp in the dressing room, the same thing happened in Perth. You know, they were only defending 79, but they had the West Indies 27 for three, and then LBW was given out against Campbell. Um, and they would have been twenty-seven for four, mm. and and that would th- when that happened, you say gasp. Um, in that room, there was a gasp and a, and a, and a, a nervous cheer. There was <laughs> not for me; it was a loud cheer, but it was like a yes, like a real quiet. It was like everyone in this room is going for Thailand, but can't make it known. Like there was yes. a like the, the the inhale was massive. Like for you guys, we're oh no, England are collapsing again. <laughs> but in that room, there was a it was a, it was a real palpable like that. There's there's an energy that this team brings to the game that, you know, this genuine enjoyment, you know, that they, fulfillment that they get from it. So you had to go back and just look at it as we're talking at the scores because I'm like, geez, because they didn't lose another wicket in the end. They put on another another 52 to, to get the runs. That was Campbell and, and Stefani Taylor. And it, you know, any team, four, four for 27 in a, in a World Cup, you never know what could happen after there. So just, just another little from the press box story there and, and to see what, what, a team like Thailand can bring to world cricket, you know, and all the power to them. Just too bad that the the proposed set of tournaments in the future, originally put up by the ICC, have a, have, have more tournaments but with fewer teams, and they, they they will have fewer chances to be making global events. So we can only hope that. I know that 
Imran Khawaja was talking about, I think, backing that that structure. But who knows? If we get fewer events, but with more teams in there, it might not actually work out that badly for Associate Nations if these these events are bigger than the ones that have originally been proposed. And I think about that more actually from a Thailand point of view rather than looking at the men's teams. I sort of think, well, you know, if this wasn't a ten team event, you know, they, they wouldn't have had the chance because it was only eight. Um, it would have been really tough. But anyway, sort of going off the path a little bit, bit there. But I guess that that comes to what we hope in the next year is when they start making decisions about future events that, you know, like you said, how we get front and centre by having big World Cups. But, you know, now that the, the rubber has really started the road in terms of looking at events for the next uh, next 10 years, really, because they're looking at it from until the next cycle, which is 24 to, to 2031. So we can only hope that um, we see events befitting a global game. The other thing at Monica was just the very subtle fist pumping from Nick and I every time something good happened. It's like- <laughs> oh, you, sh- you should have seen me in the, the, the box in in the UAE watching Hong Kong against Amman. That was not, <laughs> that, like, I was quiet, but I was like, people were just looking at me as I'm dislocating shoulders as I'm cheering. But, <laughs> oh, look, anyway. Uh, brilliant to catch up with you guys, as always. To everyone who's, who's listened throughout 2020, thank you for being a part of our journey. We've been able to catch up and, and chat to so many great people in the associate and emerging game over the last year. The circumstances weren't great, but yeah, the likes of John T. Rhodes, Kyle Kutzer, Daniel West, and you know, the list goes on. We've had so many great guests and so many people in so many different respects contributing to emerging cricket, not only the podcast, but obviously all our written content as well. So many different contributors to thank over 2020 and as well going back to when when we first started when Tim decided to throw us into a WhatsApp group chat in 2018 and hopefully 2021 we'll be able to deliver the Emerging Cricket World the uh, the coverage that it deserves. But as always, boys, it's been a pleasure. Uh, any final points to make in our in our year in review or year in preview gents i think we've just about covered everyone's questions well if we missed two weeks i think we we definitely made it up tonight didn't we <laughs> yes <laughs> two weeks at once yeah yeah <laughs> once again thank you to everyone around the emerging community we'll catch up with you over the course of the year but from us it's a warm goodbye and uh to keep up with the news and events from the games new world make sure to log on to emergingcricket.com and of course we'll have the podcast rolling for you weekly very very soon but on behalf of tim cutler nick skinner and myself daniel beswick enjoy the rest of your day and week wherever you are in the emerging cricket world